for the week of September 6, 2017. This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On this week's show, well, it's, uh, it's another big one. As most of you have now heard, 8th District Congressman Dave Reichert has announced that he will not be seeking re-election. So we speak with the chair of the 8th Congressional District for the Washington State Democrats, Josh Truppen. We also talk with Chris Petzold, leader of Indivisible Washington's 8th District, to get reactions from both of them. And then in light of Trump's recent announcement to end DACA, we speak with Indivisible member Alex Dark. He has started the Washington Indivisible Immigrant and Refugee Action Program as a way to coordinate efforts across the state. We will also have our dose of good news and we will have our call to action. Josh Troopin is the chair of Washington's 8th Congressional District for the Democrats, and he joins us again on the show to talk about the news that just broke that Republican Congressman Dave Reichert will not be seeking re-election. Josh, welcome. Well, thank you so much, the news definitely took everyone by surprise. Yeah. It was the kind of news where you always thought it might happen, but even then, hearing it is surprising. And that said, it's an interesting piece of news, especially in a district that's D plus three. But I would explain what that means very briefly. So, right. So, I, each congressional district, I believe the Cook uh, Partisan Report gives it a number based on how the presidential race went. So uh, the 8th Congressional District usually goes for Democrats in presidential elections. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, Clinton beat Trump by three points. So that's what the plus three means. So, well, so obviously the strategy for Democrats was always to flip this seat. But I'm wondering, in what ways does Reichert's decision not to run again change things? Well, the first thing that I would advise is not to start to feel overconfident, <laughs> obviously. Um, Reichert is still in office, and uh, the work that people have done you know, with Indivisible and other groups pressuring him on his votes, that should continue. Because just because he's announced retirement does not mean he should get a free pass, especially when he is still supporting Trump at about 85 percent. Well, let me ask you about that, because I wonder if there was something of a tell in the fact that Reichert was one of the first and only Republicans to speak out against Trump's decision on DACA. Do we think, and this is maybe just wishful thinking, but do we think that Reichert might start to uh, buck Trump and the party a little bit more now that he has made this decision? It, It could definitely go either way. He, as an incumbent, he has good name recognition and people like him for being Dave Riker. So he, you know, a lot of people still remember him from when he took credit for solving the Green River murders. And, <laughs> and taking um, credit was really, I think, what <laughs> a lot of people have said that, right. he, that that was what he contributed to that. But anyway, but, but be that as it may, um, he would be able to kind of go against Republican uh, mainstream thought, wherever that is these days, right. a, a bit more than perhaps a freshman congressperson would. Uh, however, he still has a record of waiting until the whip count is in, and then when he's released to do a vote against the GOP, he'll do it. He's been that's precisely fun. what he did on the ACA. Yeah, so, yeah. he's yeah. been a pretty reliable 
vote for Republican policies that are hurting the district. Well, that, yeah. And of course, how he's going to vote from this point forward is a matter of speculation. But one thing we do know for sure is that he has a war chest of about half a million dollars right now. What are the campaign rules on that? Can he give it to whoever runs on the GOP side? So according to the FEC, if a uh, candidate is retiring or not running, they have a few options with the money in their pack. They can't just keep it and spend it on a cabin on Lake Wenatchee. But what they can do (laughs) is they can transfer it to the party organization or they can transfer it to an eventual candidate in this or another race, perhaps. So even though we don't have an incumbent in the race and the Republican candidate won't have the benefit of the perks of incumbency, they are still starting at an advantage just monetarily. Sure. And this is this is a really big money race. We're talking several million dollars on each side by the time all is said and done. Right. Well, I mean, you've been talking with the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC. Uh, they've definitely had their sights on this district, and I think most definitely more so now. Um, uh, what are they saying right now? So even with Reichert in the race, this is considered a top-tier race, right. one of perhaps a dozen in the western part of the United States, and meaning barring some cataclysm, they will be in it until the end. They will generally step back somewhat during a primary season and jump in later on in the calendar when we pretty much have our nominee worked out. But but they are they have actually released a couple of web ads about Reichert. So they've they've started working on Reichert opposition generally already right yeah right so they they've had their eye on this district especially because it's a d plus three as i said listen josh i know you got a very busy day ahead of you i just want to say thank you for all the work that you're doing and uh, thanks for taking the time to join us man Thank, thank you so much i look forward to talking to you again soon we certainly will And next, we talk with Chris Petzold, another regular guest on the show. She is the head of Indivisible Washington's 8th District. Hey, Chris. Hello. So uh, first, what was what was your reaction to the news this morning? Were you surprised? Uh, yes. I am, <laughs> frankly, pretty stunned. I didn't yeah. expect this to happen today. Yeah. I mean, you got to figure it's been tough lately, um, so it can't be a, a complete surprise, but... I was pretty stunned. <laughs> well, yeah, so you mentioned it being tough. How much do you think your indivisible group, which I should also mention is my indivisible group, how much of a role do you think uh, actions by your group and others like it played in Riker's decision? I don't know. I don't want to toot our own horn, sure, of but course. I think it was it was probably pretty significant. Uh, we've been applying significant pressure since before the inauguration all through the August recess here. And so I... I can only imagine that it had to be part of the de- decision. Yeah, you'd, you'd figure. You know, it also makes you wonder if he'd already maybe made up his mind when he spoke out against Trump on Trump's DACA announcement. Reichert was one of the sole Republicans to do that. But in any event, does Reichert's decision to not seek reelection change any of the strategies or tactics of your indivisible group? 
I don't think we're going to change very much. Um, He still is our representative in Congress, and we still expect him to work for us. Uh, And, you know, unless he resigns, we we still have work to do. Uh, He needs to stand up to Donald Trump and the GOP's going along with Trump's hateful agenda. So I don't see that it changes very much. Uh, Maybe he'll maybe his votes will change, which I'll be happy about. I think that um, Dave Reichert has uh, long been concerned about immigration policies and has been working behind the scenes on that one. So that that vote didn't actually or that uh, announcement by him didn't actually surprise me a lot. Um, Him coming out and talking about Sheriff Arpaio did. Um, But I think that uh, Dave Reichert knows who his constituents are in eastern Washington. A lot of immigration um, issues over there. And I wasn't actually surprised to see him talking about that. Well, then I guess that makes it uh, a little more unpredictable, the fact that he would do something that would be serving a voting constituency, given the fact that he's no longer necessarily concerned yeah. with getting their votes, right? Yeah, I know. It is kind of a new ball game, um, And I think that the political climate has just shifted so much in D.C., and this is just one of the many dominoes that's going to fall. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering if you're still encouraging people to meet with him. That's one of the things the Indivisible Guy talks about. They say that, you know, the best way to really reach your representatives is through town halls. Uh, and as we know, Riker doesn't hold those. Are you still encouraging people to meet with Riker in person, provided he's still interested in taking meetings? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he still represents us. We're still yeah. paying his paycheck as taxpayers and constituents. And as far as I'm concerned, he still works for us for the next 14 months, just like he has for the last <laughs> however many years. Well, and as far as that goes, taxpayers <laughs> are going to be paying his pension as well. So maybe it's even no more kidding. important at this point to go in and get a few final words in. Um, yeah. So, you know, obviously the group's going to keep pressure on him. And this is, of course, a matter of speculation. But do you think that now that he's not going to run again, if he's going to be less susceptible to that pressure? It's possible. Um, but we need to keep it up nonetheless. And uh, whoever uh, comes out um, and decides to run for the office on the GOP side will need to see that we have strong, consistent pressure. Um, Mm. And we need to make sure that any candidate that runs represents um, our progressive values of education, environment, women's health, families, a living wage, protecting our standing in the world, all of that stuff, uh, all of the candidates need to feel the pressure to represent us. And then the selection of a candidate on the Democratic side now becomes, I suppose, more important than ever. What sort of role will your group play in that? Will you endorse a candidate at some point, or are you going to wait until after the primary to get behind whoever's selected? We haven't decided yet. Um, and this this news today definitely uh, changes our focus to some extent. Um, haven't decided yet. So stay tuned on that one. All right. Well, there's a lot to stay tuned for. This is definitely a game changer. But uh, Chris, yeah. thanks for all the work that you do as usual. And, uh, well, you know, we'll be talking again. Yeah. Thank you.
Time now for this week's call to action. First, a quick dose of good news. First to Texas, where we continue to send good thoughts and wishes for the recovery going on down there. One of the issues that many people feared might come up in the recovery and the evacuation has now been alleviated when a federal judge blocked Texas from enforcing its ban on sanctuary cities, meaning people in Houston can get the help they need right now without the shadow of being deported hanging over them. A separate judge in Texas also blocked the state from implementing yet another law restricting abortion rights. Then, down in California, Kamala Harris became the latest senator to sign on to Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All bill. And also, Los Angeles became the latest city to change Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. And if you want to know why that is a good thing, you probably already do. But in case you don't, check out the first chapter of Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Christopher Columbus, not a, not a small guy. And finally, following Trump's move to end DACA, people in cities all around the country marched in support of it, including several cities here in Washington state. And that brings us to this week's call to action. For reasons known only to him, Trump seems already to be wavering on his decision, tweeting out that if Congress doesn't act on a DACA replacement in six months, he'll, quote, revisit it, whatever that means. Uh, Maybe the entire business community, plus half his own party, not to mention well over 70 percent of voters disagreed with what he did. But if we have learned anything, it is not to trust him about anything ever. Full stop. (laughs) Exclamation point. So we need to keep the pressure on our reps here in the state to put something into law. We know we have the support of both our senators on this, so let's tell our reps to pass a clean, no-compromise replacement for the DREAM Act so that 800,000 contributing, tax-paying, law-abiding members of our community can finally be here to stay. That is this week's call to action. Alex Dark is with Indivisible Wallingford, and he facilitates the Washington Indivisible Immigrant and Refugee Action Group. Alex Dark, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me today. So you are very involved in immigrants' rights um, as a member of Indivisible. Tell us just a little bit about your background and how you came to be interested in immigrants' rights. Okay, well, like um, a lot of members of Indivisible, I would say that, you know, I don't have a, a deep background in political activism. And I think last year during the campaign, the thing that I found most disturbing about um, Trump's campaign was the way in which he had sort of uh, was singling out immigrants, refugees and Muslims as scapegoats to kind of build his power base and uh, eventually to get elected. I found that really disturbing. And so I just thought uh, that I wanted to focus on that as an issue. It's a complex issue as people who are probably learning as they're hearing all these acronyms like uh, DACA and uh, ICE and DREAM uh, being tossed around. So um, it's, it's definitely something you can just focus on. And a lot is happening right now with immigration rights. Yeah, there absolutely is. Talk a little bit about starting the Immigrant and Refugee Forum and specifically what it is meant to do. Okay. Um, to do that, I'd like to just give a little history on what we've been working on um, on DACA. Please. In July, recognizing that DACA was likely um, to be under, uh, basically in July, we knew that 10 states were going to sue the federal government over the DACA program. And it seemed likely that the Trump administration would decline to defend DACA in court. So at the time, thinking about what I could do, I decided that what would be good, I would be able to do a resolution that we could ask member indivisible organizations across Washington state to take to their members and to ratify. 
and that um, we'd be able to take that to our senators, Senator Murray and Senator Cantwell. And it would show that uh, there was sort of coordination between our groups and communication between our groups on this issue and that we all jointly felt strongly that DACA should be protected. So we did that. And that was an opportunity for many organizations to talk about it with their groups and to ratify it. We eventually got 49 groups to sign that included immigrant rights organizations as well as indivisible organizations across the state from Wallapa Bay to Spokane and Palouse and from, you know, Everett down to Vancouver. And we took that and we presented it to Senators Cantwell and Murray. And I actually mailed that to all 10 of Washington State's House representatives, highlighting the organizations in their district that had signed. So going through that process just involved a lot of meeting people on Facebook and via email, asking them and their organizations to sign. And that became the basis for realizing that there was a lot of value um, to be able to talk about issues as a state across all of our different organizations to people like our senators, um, because I think that they listen more attentively when they're hearing a message coming from Western, Central, and Eastern Washington than if it's just always coming out of um, Seattle. And people were already doing a lot of work on this. So it was a way to kind of roll it up and show a united front. Uh, and so I thought it would be good to create a forum for a lot of those groups to communicate about what's going on in Washington State. Yeah, your point about reaching the different districts is very well made. It's pretty clear where people stand on the issue in a place like, say, Seattle, but elsewhere in the state, maybe not so much. And in fact, in keeping with that, I noticed that a couple of representatives in Newhouse and Reichert, both Republicans, not from Seattle, uh, have now spoken out against Trump's move on DACA. You must have been very happy with that. I was very pleased to hear that. And that, and that gives us um, a, co- a couple of representatives who have who have not come out in support of DACA, so we can focus our efforts there. And I think it's just very good to have a a statewide view of what's going on with that. Another good example where it helps to work as a state is that in both Burien and Spokane in this last year, initiatives have been introduced in both of those cities to roll back what people call kind of sanctuary ordinances, ordinances directing um, local police departments not to ask about immigration status um, during their, their duties. So those, um, both those cities on kind of opposite sides of the state are facing initiatives that we're learning are funded by the same organization, Respect Washington, which is funded by both uh, out-of-state anti-immigration organizations, as well as, you know, they have uh, relationships with the Republican Party in Washington state. And and to be very clear, what they're trying to do there is essentially a de-sanctuary measure that would force local law enforcement to work as immigration enforcement officers, as opposed to, say, uh, what is present in King County and also in Seattle, which is sort of a de facto sanctuary city in which uh, local law enforcement would not uh, right. work as immigration enforce- enforcement officers. Right. Yeah. In the same way that uh, the police don't ask about your 1040 tax form when they stop you at a traffic stop, because uh, it's just not really uh, anything that they're involved in enforcing, they would not be involved in um, enforcing uh, federal immigration law. And there are myriad reasons why a number of law enforcement officers have said specifically that they don't want to get involved in that, not least of which is because they don't get as much cooperation when they are actually actively trying to uh, pursue crimes from people who are afraid of speaking up and potentially getting turned in and deported. So Right, exactly. And so now we have a case where I think we have at least a forum where those two activists in those two cities can communicate on, on what's been going on and, and compare notes, as it were.
Well, that's tremendous. Uh, the the second campaign of note that I've been tracking on your site is uh, it is from the Detention Watch Network, and it is called it's a campaign called Defund Hate, and that has to do with the upcoming budget fight. What can you tell us about that? Sure. So um, Trump is probably people are aware is asking for money for uh, a wall with the border to Mexico. Probably people don't focus as much on the fact that he's looking for additional funding to hire thousands of new immigration and customs enforcement and customs and border patrol officers, the officers, federal officers who are tasked with um, enforcing immigration laws. And he's looking for money to purchase more private prison beds for um, detainees, either um, from private prison companies or in some cases leasing those beds from local jurisdictions. So all that money um, is really coming, you know, in total, what it really does is it paints a picture of an increasing deportation force under Trump's control that he has sent signals to in a number of ways, both through the ways he's changed how they execute um, the enforcement of immigration laws and in things like we see last week with him pardoning uh, Joe Arpaio, who had had spent many years targeting Latino communities, um, that he's really sending a signal to them that they're able to kind of break the law with impunity and enforcing these immigration laws. And that all adds up to a very dangerous situation for a lot of communities, particularly Latino communities. So um, our argument, and I, I think this is where um, Detention Watch Network is going with their campaign, and I'm hoping Im- Indivisible will support them in this, is that we really don't want to see any additional money given to DHS. In fact, given the fact that... Um, and that's the Department of Homeland Security. That's the Department of Homeland Security, under which uh, these organizations like ICE and CBP, sure. who are, are tasked with the immigration enforcement, are located. We'd like to see them not get any additional money for the wall, for police, for prisons. And there's a good argument to be made that their funding should probably be decreased since the number of people trying to cross the border is decreasing, and they've given up all attempts at um, really prioritizing who they're going after and they're just basically anybody they encounter in the course of enforcement, they're deporting. Their detentions are going up. The actual deportations are not going up. So the number of people who are detained right now is rising, often for very long periods of time. So it's a it's a bad system. It's a broken system. And it does not need more funding at this time. Uh, as I said, uh, as of the recording of, of our interview on Tuesday the 5th, that was the morning that Jeff Sessions uh, made his announcement. There are going to be rallies all over the state in response. Uh, you're also planning on hanging a banner over I-5 uh, later this afternoon. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so let me tell you um, first that uh, in, in the Seattle area, uh, indivisible organizations are following the direction of the Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network. In that network is an organization called Washington Dream Coalition, and that coalition is sort of a coalition of dreamers in Washington state who are going to be most directly impacted by this uh, this decision. So um, they're going to have a press conference today, and we're urging our members to go to the press conference and, and support them in their response. It is true as well that throughout the Puget Sound region, people are looking at other ways to get the message out, and we're going to be doing bannering on the freeway. We're going to have to transition our message, and we're, we're, we're watching other organizations to see where they're going. But I, I strongly suspect that um, the message is increasingly going to be to Congress to pass something like the DREAM Act, which would take the DACA protections and make them law, and also would give DREAMers a path towards 
permanent residency and eventually citizenship. So I think our, our, our you know, banner dropping over the freeways and stuff like that, will probably focus on that in coming days. But that's a big fight that that will go on well past this week. Yeah, and I was just going to say sort of in closing, what are you hoping that indivisible groups uh, here in the state, what role are you hoping that they play in the fight to continue to protect dreamers here in Washington? I feel like in the last nine months, the indivisible organizations have learned a lot of skills around lobbying Congress for the kinds of legislation that Americans want to see. And we can take those skills to the table as allies with these other organizations and bring a louder voice to the federal level to advocate for just much better immigration policies than the country has had in prior years. I guess I would close with a story about the last time that the DREAM Act uh, was brought before Congress. It almost succeeded, I think, in 2011 or 2013. It passed the House and it actually got 55 votes in the Senate, but that was five votes short of being over, able to override a Republican filibuster, so it failed. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people uh, at that time were not, who are paying a lot of attention now were not paying as much attention to the DREAM Act being passed then. Hopefully, if this goes around one more time on the merry-go-round and Congress brings this up for a vote again, this time, Indivisible can show up and really bring a strong voice in support of getting it passed this time. Yeah, well, I know that's certainly the message that we are hearing from a national in Washington, D.C. So uh, thank you for all of the work that you're doing here in the state, Alex. And uh, let's continue the fight, man. Okay, thanks a lot. And that's going to do it for this week's show, everybody. If you want to learn more about the show, head over to indivisiblepodcast.org. You will find links to all the things that we talk about here. There's also a searchable back catalog of shows. Our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. That, again, is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you, so uh, hit me up early and often, in the words of Mayor Daly. Oh, and our Twitter handle is at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to Josh Truppen, Chris Petzold, and Alex Dark. And thanks, as always, to you for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.